Praying, please just kill him, just take him away. If I ever tell anybody she would lock me up, he literally told me, get undressed. Try to catch me howling at the The stories told on I Lived Through This are told by those who experienced them in good faith. The views expressed by the survivors in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of me, the podcast, or any sponsor of the show. Some of the stories on this podcast may include triggers for some listeners, including descriptions of injuries, sexual violence, abuse, and other triggering topics. Please consider this when listening to this podcast. My name is Nicole Engelbrecht. You may know me from my other podcasts, True Crime South Africa or the Devil's Dorp Companion Podcast. Throughout my podcast journey, in talking to survivors and the family members of victims, I discovered the life-changing power of stories. Stories told from the heart, as a narrative of a human being's lived experience, are enormously impactful for both the storyteller and the listener. In my new podcast series, I Lived Through This, I bring you the stories of ordinary people who faced seemingly insurmountable odds and survived to tell you the tale in their own words. From getting trapped in a destructive cult, Surviving an abusive relationship, living through a natural disaster, life-changing disease, and even a fight for survival with a wild animal. Join me for these powerful tales of facing the unimaginable and fighting to be able to say, I lived through this. This is a Killer Audio Creations production. Before I get into today's episode, I wanted to apologize for the long delay between the last episode and this one. If you follow the True Crime South Africa group, you'll know that my first book is coming out in October, and I've been working hard on getting that finished. So I needed to put a few things on the back burner for a little bit. But I'm back, and thank you for all of those who expressed they were missing the episodes. Now, on with the show. Today's episode is a difficult one, but Vili's story holds so many themes that are absolutely vital to talk about that when he agreed to chat with me, I knew I had to share the story with you. If you follow my work on True Crime South Africa, you'll know that male rape and sexual abuse 
as well as male victims of domestic violence, are topics that are very close to my heart, and subjects that I don't think get near enough exposure. So while I do have to warn you up front that the subject matter of this episode is not easy to listen to, I do hope that you'll listen and share, because you never know who needs to hear this. Vili Erasmus survived a childhood filled with various types of abuse, and an early adulthood which, as a result of that abuse, was filled with dangerous and unhealthy behaviour. He has chosen not to name the people who abused him. This is Vili's story. Hi, I'm Vili Erasmus, and thanks for hearing my story today. I hope it will encourage you and be a big part of your healing. I am the firstborn of four kids in our family. It's me and then two sisters and a, a young brother. Being the firstborn in the family, I, I got to travel a lot, go to this uncle, go to grandma, stay there, stay here. And it also obviously helped helped out with my folks in their schedule and having a new kid on the block and all of that. So. So I got to see many people and some strange things started happening on those ventures, if you can call them that. I remember I was about three. I'll tell you now why I remember it was three, three because of my four-year-old birthday. I got to, I call her an aunt. She's a, a niece of my dad and them. And uh, when I went to visit them, she would make me take off all my clothes and and she would get naked with me. She's, she's 10 years older than I, so she was 13. This is one of the many reasons that I felt Vili's story was so important to share. When you hear that a young boy was sexually assaulted as a child, what is the picture of the perpetrator that comes into your head? If that picture is of a much older adult male then you're probably sharing the same picture that most others do of what a sexual predator looks like. Vili's abuser, at least the first, is a female. She's also a child herself. Although paedophilic disorder is not diagnosable before the age of 16, most paedophiles report having experienced their first urges and or having committed their first offences long before that. According to one study entitled The Other Half of the Story, Children with Sexual Behavior Problems, at least 40% of all reported sexual offenses against children were committed by a perpetrator younger than 18. Of course, not all of these perpetrators are clinically diagnosable as pedophiles, and not all of them will go on to become lifelong offenders. But Vili's abuser is displaying some really classic signs of sexual abuse tactics. I obviously thought, I didn't think much of it at the time, but then as the visits progressed, she would uh, be naked on top of me, literally lying flat on top of me naked, and um, I had to do the same. She's very abusive and pinched me a lot because I didn't like this and I didn't want to play along. But obviously I was manipulated up to one stage where she threatened me with my dad and 
telling the family of what I'm doing and what I've done. And obviously this caused a lot of fear in my life. This is seriously classic grooming and predator behavior. Even though Vili is only three years old, he already understands shame and knows that what is happening is not right. And even though the abuser is only 13 years old, she clearly already knows exactly how to use that to her advantage. So this carried on for a little while. And uh, I remember being three because on my fourth birthday, this aunt was there. And I remember the cake. I remember the gifts. And my grandparents were there and my mom and them were there. And uh, um, I remember the cake, and the cake had a big four on it. So that's why it was so easy to remember. And But I remember trying to not make eye contact with the aunt because I was so scared of anybody finding anything out or my folks. or So it was, it was really not a fun time. I also grew up in a very abusive home. My dad was verbally and physically very abusive. All four of us kids would go through being hit with anything you can find. And my mom would also get a beating. I remember her trying to cover up with makeup and uh, the blue eyes and all of that. It's because of fear, I believe. We were so fearful of my dad. And obviously my aunt used this because she, she knew it was happening at home. And she was, I mean, she was 13, she was young herself, so, but she's very nasty person, very nasty person. And as time passed, uh, nothing much changed. Tried to avoid visiting the aunt. And then uh, a while after that, the aunt's mother, which was now a sister to my grandma, she walked in into the bedroom while we were busy. And did I get a scolding? And I was told if I ever tell anybody, she would lock me up and throw away the key. Nobody would be able to find me. And obviously that traumatized me. And I was so, I was so petrified. I was so, yeah, shaken about this, this thing. And I really thought that the aunt's mom was such a nice lady. She, she would do something about it. And there was nothing, nothing, nothing changed. Now. I cannot imagine how it must feel to walk into a room and be confronted with a scene like that. And perhaps one can forgive a shocked initial reaction from an adult. Maybe I can also understand not immediately wanting to acknowledge that your teenage daughter is sexually predating a four-year-old child. But what I cannot understand is blaming that four-year-old child and threatening them. And this is why sexual abuse within families becomes generational. And a predator will often abuse many different children in the same family because silence protects the predator and multiplies the damage to the victim. And the experiences with the niece, um, there were many other experiences which I'm not going to go into detail with. I think everybody knows and has an idea what molestation and that entails but it was it was horrific and uh disgusting and i i grew up 
with uh, uh, being naked as being vulgar and I was always shy. I hated myself. Um, I would ask my sisters as I grew up, how do I look? Because I don't want to look myself in the mirror. Because when I when I see this person, he's just this horrible, horrible person to look at. Totally hated myself. I totally wished that I could die. And this was, I mean, this was at the age of six, seven. And then obviously at home with uh, the hidings and uh, the cursing. Um, I remember getting beaten quite often. And then my mom would uh, come to the room early in the morning and look at my body and and then she said, I'm not going to school because the bruising needs to heal. So everybody, everybody in the family knew about this, but didn't do anything. So it's not just the sexual abuse that's been hidden. The physical abuse Vili, his siblings and his mother are all experiencing at the hands of his father is also being carefully concealed from the world. And as a result, a child of six or seven becomes preoccupied with death. So I had this huge fear of my dad. I actually remember praying, please just kill him. Just, you know, take him away. Um, because it, it, it was really tough. It was really it was horrible. It always crushed me when I saw my sisters going through that as well. And sometimes I would lie and say, it's my fault. If the plate was broken or a glass was broken or something, then... It would be all over. Then, at the age of eight, uh, our family had to move because of financial difficulties. We moved into my grandparents with, with, with them, and there were other family there as well. A young uncle, my dad's youngest brother, he was, uh, uh, yeah, he's 10 years older than I. So he went to the army, and then he brought back a friend from the army and then he stayed over and went to and fro and he befriended me and i remember i was alone in the bathtub one day i was playing with little toy cars as little boys do in the bathroom and suddenly this guy is in the bathtub with me um and baths and chats and all of that and and it all seemed fine seemed fine and he was a very nice guy um very friendly Obviously, I was eight, so you don't think much of anything. And, and then I would be in his room with him on the bed, and he'll tell, tell me stories or read a storybook and would capture my imagination. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm a very imaginative person and love, love being creative myself and all of that. And uh, then uh, he would go to the army, come back. He wouldn't even go to his own folks. He, he made sure he, he got back there with us. There's one day while we were, he was telling me a story and we finished to close the book. He literally told me, get undressed. And I got undressed and uh, um, he pushed me over and then, yeah, he did his thing. He and it sounds easy to just jump on, but um, it took a while with uh, the struggle to, to get the act going. I froze. I froze because I knew this is my fault. And 
I don't want my folks to know and I don't want to go to jail. That's what went through my mind. I, I just laid still. I kept, kept still. But I, I do remember crying. And the guy really hurt me physically uh, with the act. And that I bled. Obviously, for a short while, it was difficult to go to the bathroom. And, and the guy after that was still very nice and acted as if nothing happened. And he would ask, am I okay? And, and all of that. But I was just so confused about everything. I just, I didn't know what was going on, although I knew what was going on because it felt like another aunt situation. Vili has found himself the target of another predator. And this one's job has been made far easier because Vili has already been groomed into terror and submission. Again, this predator's behaviour in befriending both Vili and his family before carrying out the rape is classic. He infiltrated the home by befriending Vili's uncle. As a result, he's earned the trust of Vili's parents, and then he got to work on Vili's trust. Slowly, worming his way into Vili's life and mind. Likely, very strategically presenting himself as the father figure Vili wishes he could have. Kind, caring, attentive. And then he pounced. When he asks Vili if he's okay, he doesn't really care if he's okay. He's assessing the child's state of mind, seeing where he's at. Is he going to tell, or can he do it again? I remember my mom walking to the bathroom, and I was on the toilet, and she would see me cry. And I just told her that I'm, my stomach hurts. And she said, okay, finish up, then I'll give you some stomach. But I, I just wanted to crawl into her arms and tell her so that the monsters can go away. But I couldn't because I knew that it it might be her fault and she would get beaten up and go to jail and I would I would go to jail and never see them again. Although all of this happened as well, I did love my folks very much and my dad as well because my dad also loved me very much. We, we grew up in a very loving home in, in spite of all the, the trauma and all of that. I know it sounds funny, but it, it, it's what it was. And I get that. It actually doesn't sound strange. Anyone who's grown up in a home where one or more of their caregivers was abusive will probably tell you something similar. It's not always abuse. It's not always violent. In fact, although those moments stand out in our minds and often stay with us for life, those are not the only elements of our childhoods. The bad is always mixed in with the good. With this guy from the army, the rapes took place three times. I tried to avoid it all costs, but some sometimes he would just catch me off guard, like literally get get back from school and then would catch me right there. And always make sure that we're alone and people were away. So it stopped at one stage. Uh, where we had to move uh, far away. So so those things um, stopped happening. But now I was entering my teenage years and uh, I grew better, nasty, unforgiving. And I had this twisted 
a sexual sense of self. Um, I, uh, as the internet started up, I found a way to to check out pornography and all the weird things that's on there, and I suddenly grew up addicted to pornography. But uh, with the bitterness and 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 all of that, I just grew into this morbid, horrible person. Bitter, bitter, bitter. I was never happy. Um, I didn't trust anybody. Um, I didn't trust myself even. And I remember in my 20s that I was still afraid of cops if they would stop me or pull me over because they wanted to check your license. I had this big fear of they're going to lock me up because of the trauma that's never been dealt with. And obviously, you don't get to talk to someone because these things don't happen, right? It's taboo. This is how deep the grooming and conditioning of an abused child seeps into their subconscious. As a man in his 20s, Vili still fears the thing the predators told him would happen if he spoke up, that he would get into trouble. If you've ever wondered why people only talk about their childhood sexual abuse when they're adults, this is why. Eventually, when he was 26 years old, the burden became too heavy. When I was 26, I, w- I walked up to my dad and I told him, listen, this is what happened. This is what the aunt has done and this is what that guy has done. And it totally shocked him. It totally shocked him. And he didn't know what to say or what to do. But I've, I kind of felt, okay, well, this is, this is maybe the start of a new thing. Uh, maybe uh, I'm putting my foot down and standing up for myself. But it didn't. Just because I told my dad didn't make me feel any better about myself. And then right up to the age of 29, I met this beautiful lady, and she's still ever more beautiful today. And I thought if if I get married, all my problems would go away. <laughs> now I'm laughing because uh, that's actually what a lot of people think. And I promise you, it doesn't. We've married 14 years this year. She didn't know about anything and what I went through and and where I was and where my mind was and my situation with my folks and everything. And uh, it kind of felt like I entrapped her into something. I loved her very much. I love her still. But uh, um, it's just funny thinking that you have this beautiful person in your life and you're going to be okay because she's going to help you. And actually, that was the case. She helped me, but I had to do all the work. Vili raises such an important point here. So often we enter into relationships, certain that if we just find the right person, all our trauma will be healed. But all that does is make our trauma someone else's. In rare cases, such as with Vili, Being with the right person did facilitate his healing, but it was up to him to do that work. What happens far more often is that our trauma not only ends up damaging what could have been a good relationship, but it leaves the other person with scars they didn't deserve. And at the end of the day, 
as much as supporting your partner through their stuff is an important part of a relationship, it's not your responsibility to fix your partner. It's theirs. Really, we should be entering into relationships after having already done the bulk of the work on ourselves. That work never ends, of course. But the major stuff, the healing from the major traumas, really needs to at least have started of your own volition before you get into a relationship. I'm sure the romantics are going to shout me down here. But I don't subscribe to the you-complete-me line. If you need another human being to fill the gaps, I feel like that's problematic. Relationships often fail because we go into them looking for things in other people because those things don't exist in us yet. When that person is incapable of giving you those things, we blame them instead of asking why the hell we put that responsibility on them in the first place. So, instead of you complete me, I really prefer you compliment me. I'm happy, and you make me happier. Full stop. Anyway, back to Vili. The beginning of our marriage was a very rocky one because I had all this hatred and all this unforgiveness, which my wife absolutely does not stand for. And um, we fought a lot about that. Obviously, well, I'm saying obviously, but the sex for me was... uh, a thing to do and get out of the way because it would bring up the past memories and I just want to get it over with because I grew up with with those things in my head and, and that. But then one day, I think we were about three years, my wife told me, listen, Vili, I can't carry on like this. I can't carry on this with this unforgiveness and this hatred and this anger that you're walking around with. I can't can't do this anymore. And then I thought, well, just as I suspected, now the the person in my life that I love the most is going to drop me as well because that's what people do around me. And uh, she said, we need to find a way to get this sorted because we can't can't carry on like this. We can't waste years. And uh, I said, well, but I don't know what to do. And she said, well, let's start, let's start with forgiveness. I said, I can't because what those guys have done to me and what I'm sitting with today is just unforgivable. And she said, yes, it is unforgivable. But it's your choice if it's forgivable or not. The choice is with you. I'm like, okay, but how do you make a choice like that? How this has consumed my my mind my whole life. This is all that, that's driven me and kept me going or not, what do I do now with what, what do I replace it? And she said, okay, let's start. Let's start with your aunt. And uh, my wife led me to forgive my aunt, which is long gone. She passed away uh, a long while ago. So how do I forgive her now? Because she's, she's not alive anymore. And the other guys just gone, I mean, that was the last time I saw him and nobody ever saw him again. How do I find him? She said, we forgive others for ourselves. 
not necessarily for them. They they still need to be accountable for what they've done, but we can't we can't hold that leash on forever. So much to unpack there. Vili recognised that his hate and anger, which were both very valid emotions for him as a rape survivor, had become all-consuming. They had been driving him throughout his life and keeping him going. He'd become so attached to that anger that it had become a part of him. Letting go of that seemed as difficult as sawing off his own leg. What would he replace it with? What would become his emotional prosthesis if he chose to let go of that anger? If there's one thing I've learned, it's that even when we aren't consciously making a choice, we're still making a choice. Even when we feel trapped in a situation that seems completely out of our control, like being weighed down by anger, and it feels like our ability to choose has been taken away, we're still choosing something. In Vili's case, although when he was a child he had no choice, and his liberty, freedom and consent really were stolen from him, as an adult he chose to hold on to the anger that was given to him by the predators who abused him. And now he had to choose to try and let it go. Forgiveness is another interesting concept that I've seen come up on the True Crime South Africa group a lot, especially when offenders are up for parole. In those contexts, many people seem to think that forgiveness equates to patting someone on the back and saying, go, you're free from what you did to me. For me, forgiveness is not that. For me, it's saying to the person, I am free from what you did to me. But that doesn't mean I have to condone it. So, Vili is at a crossroads. His wife has probably quite rightly given him an ultimatum. He needs to do the work. And she will support him through that. But he needs to take the first step. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this because I love you. And I want to sort this out because I don't want to get old with this. And she said, okay. So... I called out the aunt's name and I said, today, today I forgive you. Now, this was over 10 years ago now. Today I forgive you. And this is what you've done. You've blamed me. You've held me in fear because of what you've done to me. And I went through all of that. And I said, but today I forgive you. And I have my wife next to me as a witness that I'm forgiving you and you are forgiven and I'm letting you go. And when I did that, it was a bit satisfying, but obviously this whole situation is <laughs> scored me of God. Then I went on to the other guy and I did the same thing for, for Cave and, and then I decided to forgive my father and my folks for allowing these things to happen and also with what they have done. And and then I said, I'm, I'm so glad for this. I'm, and uh, my wife said, no, 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 no. This is not over. Now you have to forgive yourself. I'm like, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that. And she said, but you have to. I said, no. I've blamed myself for so long. And 
it's literally as if it it was the truth that it it, it was all my fault. I allowed it, and I. And she said, "No. The choice is still yours. You chose to forgive the others. Now you still have to choose to forgive yourself." So she was quite she was quite harsh with that. <laughs> uh, she held my hand. And then she helped me to forgive myself. But when I did that, when I said those things, it's as if a 10-ton truck just lifted off my shoulders. I I never thought the day would break that I would do something like that or, or something like that is even possible to do. Isn't that pretty damn amazing? That Vili found it easier to forgive those that had preyed on him and raped him and stolen his childhood than it was to forgive himself. Despite the fact that he really had no guilt in the matter, the lies and the complex circle of control that these people had built up inside him had him holding on to the anger he had toward himself far longer than the anger toward the perpetrators. But he's starting to realize that forgiveness minds only be just the beginning. Since then, my life started turning around. And it's, it's a, there's no quick fix in life. It, it wasn't there and then things just started going better and everything. Then it, start, it, it became a work in progress. And I'm so grateful that my wife could be able to help me with that. And she's, she's grown up in a, if I could say, a normal house. I don't think there's a normal house, but she didn't grow up with the trauma that, I grew up with, but it was just amazing that she could help me to to forgive in spite of and and all of that. And then I needed to to make mental notes and mental alarms that I don't fall into that trap of what I've gone through because all all the trauma in the past it plays over it's on repeat. It plays like a movie. Um, of what you went through because it's never been dealt with. And now now you're forgiven and now you must stick to forgiving. The power of, of a choice is not necessarily in the choice, but sticking to the choice being made. I had to stick stick to that. And it grew. The, the movie started repeating less and less and it, spe- it started becoming a distant memory. I remember things with my dad as uh, healed up and being sorted and uh, he's gone through through his things where he sorted things out with his family and and his personal life and um, I'm actually going to have coffee with him later on and things can heal up if we decided to if we if we really wanted I didn't know I wanted but I'm I realized that I needed it. And if we can just have a person like my wife or a friend or family that could just be there just to help us over this hurdle, to, to forgive and to face, face this, this monstrous thing, then, uh, then it would be all worthwhile. Having someone like Vili's wife in your life is no doubt a huge help in finding healing for past trauma. But I think it's also important to remember that we can also be that person for ourselves. There are many facets to us, and sometimes the traumatized child version 
is the loudest and brashest. But I really do think that there's always another part of us. The adult we wish we'd had when we were children. That's in there somewhere, even if they're just a whisper. But it makes it possible to be that person for ourselves. Something else that I think is important to address is that healing from familial trauma like Vili had with his dad doesn't always look like afternoon coffees. I am so glad that for Vili it does and that he can have his dad in his life because it sounds like his dad has also started to do some work on himself and I think that's the key there. But sometimes healing from familial trauma looks like setting a boundary and removing that person from your life entirely. And that's okay too. Today, Vili is acutely aware of how differently his life could have gone, and that he's still a work in progress, just like the rest of us. And today I, I speak about it. I have no hatred for them. Instead, I, I feel sorry for them and for what they went through, because broken people break other people. They're broken. And we're so broken that we, we see we only see the monstrous things that people do, but we don't we don't get to to see or find out. Well, uh, maybe maybe the guy was done the same thing or had experiences. I remember talking to a family member, and I heard that the aunt that did this stuff to me. She was molested as a child, and what a vicious circle! What a vicious circle! And and I felt so, I felt so free and so wowed about the whole situation that I could forgive her because she also went through her trauma. But I was able to forgive her, and and even if she's not with us anymore. While there are many perpetrators of child sexual abuse that were also victims themselves, the vast majority of survivors do not go on to perpetrate abuse against others and instead internalize their trauma. I think assuming that sexual predators must have at some point been victims themselves helps us to try and come to an understanding of this behavior, but I think it's important to take each case on its own merits. Not every child that's good at maths becomes an engineer. In fact, the vast majority don't. Why? Circumstances. Choices. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's something you enjoy. Conversely, just because you've experienced a trauma doesn't mean you're doomed to live that trauma circle and perpetuate it onto other people for the rest of your life. Choices. Circumstances. For Vili, it gave him a sense of peace to know that one of the people who had preyed upon him had also been a victim at some point. It made it easier for him to understand. And that's fair enough. We so often have no idea the damage we're doing to people throughout our lives. Philly shared a story with me about his dad that really brought this home. I go in gym with my dad um, now and then. Uh, at his home, and we sat in the sauna, and obviously you only have your towel on, and and he 
sat next to me and he saw these marks on my arm. And he said, um, what are those marks on your, on your arm? And I, and I said, Dad, I'm answering you, not to upset you, but just to answer your question. That's, that's how you hit me. And those are the marks. That, and he was so shocked because of that. And, and so, and I, I told him again, listen, I, I, I'm not telling you to make you feel guilty or bad about anything. I answered your question. That's all. And I said, you don't have to worry. It's all forgiven. It's all done. It's all. And that day actually triggered something in me. I always find people say, forgive and forget. I don't think the forget part works and is there. I think we should remember these marks for me are today marks of triumph and overcoming that, yes, it happened. You can't wish them away. But the marks are there to remind us that we are free from those things. We are, we are stronger. We are better. And uh, we are so much more than we thought we were. We were blinded by trauma to see the real, the real beauty that we, we, we truly are. And if someone tells you that you're not worthy, he's a liar. You get to make that choice. You get to all the reins of your destiny. I know there's a bigger plan and, and some might believe this and, and not believe this. And uh, I believe in God and, and he's been there. He made a bad situation and turned it into a beautiful uh, situation because I can share with people that has gone through the same thing and and uh, I paid my school fees. <laughs> but yeah, that is my story. Vili and I also had a chat, which I haven't included here, about addiction and substance use disorders and how that so often presents in people with unresolved trauma. You'll remember that he mentioned he developed an addiction to pornographic material, and this is something that is very common in survivors of child sexual abuse. Because the specific focus here is on people who identify as male, and have survived sexual abuse, I'll focus on that aspect, because it's one that is wholly misunderstood and overlooked. Male survivors of sexual abuse will often react in one of two ways as adults if they've not dealt with that trauma. They will either withdraw completely from sex, or they may become completely obsessed with it, and everything related to it. This latter reaction leads to sex and porn addictions. Strings of short, unsatisfying relationships and a lot of really dangerous situations in which their physical and emotional health is at risk. Now, I want to clarify that there is a very big difference between a person who has a healthy sexual appetite and chooses not to constrain that appetite to a single relationship and a person with a sex addiction. There is absolutely nothing wrong, at least in my opinion, with anyone, no matter what gender you identify with, enjoying sex with multiple consenting partners. When that becomes problematic is when that is no longer your choice, but rather a compulsion that seeks to satisfy an emotional need rather than a physical one. And the abuse that a man may have suffered as a child which often results in this type of behavior, does not have to be a violent attack. 
situations where older females seek out minor males for sexual relationships can and often do have the same effect. But society doesn't see it that way. And often, neither does the boy at the time. We see it over and again when some scandal breaks about a female teacher having had so-called inappropriate relationships with male students, for instance. Without fail, many people don't see the problem with it. After all, they say, these boys are going through puberty. For them, it's a win to be having sex with an older female, right? Well, no, because they don't have the emotional capacity to deal with it. I personally know several men who were preyed upon by adult females when they were teenagers and whose first sexual experiences were with much older women and they display all of the negative behaviours I previously mentioned. Sadly, when we see men behaving in this way, we assume it's just because they're serial cheaters or some other issue. But often, it goes far deeper than that, whether they want to recognise it or not. Male rape and sexual abuse gets very little airtime in South Africa, and really the rest of the world too. Is it a less common problem than female rape? Yes, but it's just as important. Sadly, as I'm preparing this episode, our very own Minister of Police has made an uninformed and damaging comment in the media claiming that women cannot rape men, further promoting this myth that because male sexual arousal occurs in a visible way, Men must therefore be consenting in every sexual encounter they have. When I interviewed Renal Kukumu from Rape Crisis Cape Town, she was very clear about the fact that in both men and women, a sexual response is biological, not psychological. It's the body's way of responding to stimuli over which you have no physical control. Many women experience vaginal lubrication during rape. Does this mean they are consenting? Absolutely not. And the same is true for men. So yes, women can rape men. Men can rape men. And every male survivor's trauma is just as valid as every female survivor's. Dr. Gerard Labaskakni was a co-author on an academic paper in 2020 about male rape. In that study, he and his co-authors found that 3% of the sample group of male rape survivors they studied had been raped by a female perpetrator. That may seem like a small number, but if you consider that only 15% of all male rape victims actually report the crimes committed against them, that number suddenly starts to loom pretty large. In another study conducted among females attending a U.S. college, 4% of the women sampled self-reported an incident in which they had been the perpetrator that qualified as sexual abuse, while only 3% of that number actually recognized it was abusive. The rest didn't see their actions as abuse mainly because they believed that the male was aroused and therefore consenting. So as women, if we wish to see men standing against men who rape, 
perhaps we need to start reconsidering the myths we perpetuate about male sexuality. For Willi Erasmus, he doesn't need a study to tell him how damaging sexual abuse was to his life. As he said, he paid his school fees, although they were never owed by him in the first place. I am so absolutely grateful that Willi trusted me with his story and chose to share it with you. And I don't think the lessons he learned are only applicable to sexual abuse survivors. I do hope that Willi's story has touched you in some way, because for me, it was monumental. Try to catch me howling at the moon. I Lived Through This tells the true stories of ordinary people who've survived unimaginable situations. If you'd like to share your story of survival, you can head over to our Facebook page and fill in the form, or you can email livedthroughthis at gmail.com. I Lived Through This releases new stories every second week. In between, you can head over to our social media platforms, we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, and join in the conversation with our survivors. Thank you for listening. Once I fight it to the very